0: Good morning. I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Good to be together as a church family. Whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there is room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. So good to be together as a I need the people in the field to help me. When there's a snake lowering down over my head, go back. Someone brought a rubber snake to the field like two weeks ago, and it's been showing up different places, (laughs) and now I think the sermon is going to be shot today. Okay. All right. Uh, Where was I? Good to be together as a church family. Stay up there. Stay up. 10 a.m. This is the last Sunday for a while. We'll be at 10 a.m. next week, as TJ said. We're going to 9:15 and 11. So if you show up next week online or in person at 10 a.m., you will be either late for the first service or early for the second service. 9:15 and 11. We're really excited for this, as it seems the congregation uh, is eager for more options. And thank you to the small army of people who's making this possible. And we look forward to others jumping in and serving in ways that make this possible for us to make room for one more person. Uh, A little update for everybody, and to say thank you, we are in the midst of buying land on South Main Street to build a more permanent home for our church. To do that, we have to get the land rezoned. To get land rezoned, you have to have a public hearing. We had a public hearing on Tuesday, and it went better than we could have ever orchestrated. And I really give the credit to uh, to God, certainly. Uh, from the human perspective, what we did is we spent 24 hours praying for that rezoning uh, public hearing. So the power of prayer, the goodness of God was really on display. And uh, I like to organize things, but you walked away from the end of that meeting and said, that's more than any human being could have organized. God, the Holy Spirit did some amazing things in that time, so... It was very positive the commissioners could vote on the rezoning as early as the fourth Tuesday in September. So we'll keep everybody in the loop as this long process. We can at least see the finish line now. We can at least see the finish line. So all that to say to the church family, thank you, thank you, thank you. I sort of felt like the, the message in it, and there he went. Well, now I see how it happened. Is a string here. Uh, I, I sort of think the, uh, (laughs) the message to us was as a church family, gracious, there was a lot of ingenuity that went into this. The message to us as a church family was, uh, if you guys just stay focused on the ministry I've called you to, I'll take care of the rest. That's what I felt God was saying to us. Don't don't get all focused on the the land, the building, all that. That's going to happen. You guys stay focused on the mission, the ministry. I'll take care of the rest. I thought it was beautiful. Well, the sermon today is continuing the rebuilding series, and I want to begin with this important thought. Though it may look different this year, it is never too early to start thinking about your Halloween costume. My uh, oldest is three. She was Elmo last year. She will probably be Peppa Pig or some similar character this year. Our youngest, Cora, is one. She will be whichever of her older sister's costumes fit her this year. We all know what the worst Halloween costume is, of course. It's a mummy. Have any of you ever been a mummy for Halloween? Gray. Gray is the only one. I've trick-or-treated with many a mummy, and it seems like a good idea. But I'm an efficiency guy. I want to hit as many houses as possible. Mummies start to unravel. They start tripping over their bandages. Then they can't see where they're going. It's all a really bad situation. You don't get to nearly as many houses as you should have, and it's easily preventable. Here's how you prevent it. Don't be a mummy. I'm going to come back to that. We're in this series of sermons called Rebuilding. Our theme verses from Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 18. Which says, they replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. The good work of turning a huge disruption into a huge opportunity. A huge opportunity to rebuild a more Jesus Christ centered life. We're looking at accounts from the life of Jesus where he encountered people. And helped them rebuild their lives into something new. Something more like what God wanted for them. All the encounters of Jesus we're looking at in this series are from the book of the Bible called John. In fact, we're asking everybody at Lake Forest Davidson to read the book of the Bible called John. I had someone again this week tell me they had finished. They were on a long car trip, and they knocked out the book of John uh, as their app read read it to them. 21 chapters, so you could do a chapter a day for 21 days. And you'll have read the book of John so that you and I can go a little bit deeper into who is Jesus and what sort of life is Jesus calling us to rebuild. Today, our passage is John chapter 11, verses 32 to 44. This is what Tiffany read for us earlier. This passage asks the question, where is God in the midst of the suffering of the world? Where is God in the midst of the struggles that you and I face? The passage is asking that question. Have you ever asked that question? Sure, most of us have asked that question. We all know people right now who are asking that question. And suffering is not an abstract concept. Suffering is experienced by particular people in particular ways. I resist talking about the idea of suffering because suffering is not an idea. It is something experienced by specific people like you and like me and like everybody, specific people at specific times in specific ways. Where is God in those moments? Where is God in the weary days, the weary weeks, the weary months, the weary years? Where is God when we weep? Where is God when injustice Strikes. This is the question Pastor Flowers and I were wrestling with on striving for unity this Thursday. Where is God when we mourn? Where is God when we feel abandoned? Sitting alone in an unraveling mummy costume. Jesus, fully God, fully human, helps us to piece together an answer to these questions. Where is God in the midst of our suffering, others' suffering? Where is God when injustice strikes. Where is God when we weep? John 11 verse 32 says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So there are two sisters, Mary and Martha. They have a brother named Lazarus. Lazarus has recently died. Jesus is a friend of the family, a close friend of the family, and so he comes to visit the sisters in their time of grief. And no sooner does Jesus arrive than one of the sisters says to him, in fact, they both at different times say to him, why did you let this happen? Where were you? Why weren't you here? You could have prevented this. Notice they're not talking about philosophical ideas. They're saying, why weren't you here? If you were here, she says, my brother would not have died. It's specific. It's real. Do you feel that freedom to be that honest with God? Do you feel the freedom to not just ask hard questions about God, but to actually ask hard questions to God? Not just ask hard questions about God, but actually ask hard questions to God. This is Jesus' response. Verse 33, When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Deeply moved in spirit and troubled. So does that say Jesus is 100% satisfied with how Mary and the wailing crowd are responding in this tough situation? Well, no, I I don't think so. But at the same time, Jesus is not rolling his eyes and getting ready to smite some people. Even though Jesus is troubled, the passage also says that he's moved. In other words, God is not afraid of our hard questions. God is not afraid to be asked hard questions. God is not going to smite you just for expressing frustrations to him. Now, God's also not going to say, oh, wow, you're right. I was wrong. (laughs) God may not be 100% satisfied with how we respond in tough situations, but, 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 but he invites us to come to him just as we are, to be authentically ourselves. God can handle your frustrations. God can handle your frustrations. God can handle your big questions. God can handle your doubts. God can handle your concerns. These can be a source of open discussion between you and God. And so the passage says Jesus is troubled, but Jesus is moved. How does he respond? Verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. If your New Year's resolution was to memorize a verse of the Bible and you have not accomplished it yet, have I got an idea for you? John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept. Now, if I ask you to describe God, what would you say? How do you picture God? I don't know. He's like a big guy sitting on a big throne. Majestic looking, long beard, like the Lincoln Memorial. That's actually a pretty good description. There's one drawback Lincoln is stone faced. And when you read the Bible, something you will learn about God is that God ain't stone faced, God has deep emotions, deep joy deep anger, deep love. Now, God never lets his emotions get the best of him. God never lets his emotions get out of control. But God has deep emotions. God is not stoic. And how do you and I know this for sure? How do you and I know for sure that God is not stoic? Two words for you. Jesus wept. Jesus is overcome by the situation. He's overcome by Lazarus and his sisters and the mourning crowd. And he doesn't stand there stoically. He weeps. He weeps. It's not just a good verse to memorize because it's only two words. It's a good verse to memorize because it tells us something deeply about God's character. Jesus wept. Romans twelve fifteen tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. Romans 12 is an attempt to tell us what love looks like, what love does. And at least part of what love does is that love rejoices with those who rejoice and it mourns with those who mourn. And that's what Jesus is doing. This is his example to us. Now in a church family our size, everybody's not going to know everybody, especially when you can't get within six feet of each other. Everyone won't know everybody, but we find our ways into smaller pockets of community, smaller pockets of belonging, and within those smaller pockets, we care for one another. Now, caring for one another can be difficult because sometimes when our care is most needed, our insecurities get the better of us and push us away from other people. I won't know what to say. What did Jesus say when confronted by the difficult situation? He didn't come in with a great speech. He rejoiced with people who rejoiced, and he mourned with people who mourned. Being there for people, letting them be where they are, not having to have a grand speech. Jesus didn't have a grand speech prepared. Jesus wept. He sat with people in their grief. He wept. Jesus wept. Then everybody else started talking. Verse 36. The Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? This tells us that the crowd has heard my sermon from two weeks from now, which is about Jesus healing the man born blind. Or they're reading through the book of John. We don't know. But this is where the story starts to change because Jesus goes to the cave where Lazarus has been laid. There's a stone across the entrance. Verse 39, Jesus says, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he has been there four days. The King James translation of the Bible says, by this time he stinketh. There are some real gems. In the old King James translation. Martha's point is, Jesus, people are wailing, so it sounds like death. Jesus, if we move the stone away from the tomb, it's going to smell like death. That's not going to make things better. It's only going to remind us of what we've lost, of who we've lost. Grief is a weird thing, Jesus, but you need to find a different way to grieve verse 40 Jesus said, "Did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God?" So now Jesus is turning the corner. Yes, he's weeping, but he is still doing something even as he weeps. His emotions are deep, but they're not out of control. Jesus is doing something redemptive, something healing even as he weeps. Jesus reemphasizes to Martha and to the crowd You need to believe. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? That word for believe could also be translated as trust. It could also be translated as have faith. In the New Testament, those three words are interchangeable. Believe, trust, have faith. So Jesus is asking Martha, Jesus is asking this crowd, The central question of life do you trust me? Do you trust Jesus? Can you place your life in my hands and receive me as God's gift to you? Do you trust me even when you don't understand what I'm doing? The central question we have to ask ourselves as we rebuild a more Jesus Christ centered life do you trust Jesus? Do I trust Jesus? Even in tough situations, even when we don't understand what he's doing. So then Jesus prays and then does this, verse 43. When he had said this, said his prayer, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now let's imagine we're in the crowd that day. Jesus had some people roll the stone away from the mouth of the tomb. Martha protests. Jesus says, Martha, do you trust me even when you don't understand what I'm doing? Then Jesus prays. Okay, cool. I expect Jesus to pray. Then Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And this is when my eyes get really wide. And I think, well, that escalated quickly. As humans, we know how to fear death. We know how to fend off death. But we don't know how to undo death. We don't know how to breathe life into people who have been dead for four days. The point being that sometimes Jesus addresses needs that humans can understand and address, but sometimes Jesus addresses needs and questions that are beyond what we can address. Verse 44, the dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen, a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off his grave clothes and let him go. Now, if you've ever heard this passage of the Bible before, it is possible to hear it and go, oh yes, this is the one where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. What do you want to get for lunch? time out. (laughs) Let's, Let's think about this. You and I are standing there. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. Our eyes get really big. Well, that escalated quickly. And then from the mouth of this cave comes a loud noise, like somebody yawning after waking up from a deep sleep. Now my eyes get even wider. And here comes Lazarus, moving very slowly because he's been wrapped up in burial cloths. And I look again into the deep and compassionate eyes of Jesus, still red from the tears, and I realize the world is changing in the healing wake of this man, Jesus. I realize the world is changing in the redemptive wake of this man, Jesus, because he's not just a man. He is fully human, but he's also fully God. The creator of everything good took on flesh, moved into the neighborhood in order to transform it. He didn't just fend off death. He undid death. He undid death with the sound of his voice. And the crowd is dumbfounded. How do we know they're dumbfounded? Because Jesus has to tell them, take off Lazarus' grave clothes. Take off his grave clothes. He doesn't need them anymore. And he can hardly move. So let's put it all together. In this passage, we will learn a lot about the character and work of Jesus, and thus the character and work of God. And so as we seek to rebuild more Jesus Christ-centered lives, what do we learn about Jesus and how he responds to our struggles and our sufferings? Because you will experience, I will experience, the world around us will experience struggle and suffering. How does Jesus respond to us in our struggles and suffering? How might we rebuild in light of who God is? Number one, number one, number, 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 number. One. Jesus weeps with us. How does Jesus respond in our struggles and suffering? Number one is that Jesus weeps with us. Do you remember the very complicated verse from earlier? Jesus wept he rejoices with those who rejoice he mourns with those who mourn jesus weeps with us and i think in this passage and in our lives jesus weeps at multiple levels yes he's weeping for what happened but he also weeps for something deeper at a deeper level i believe he weeps at the condition of the world this is not how it was supposed to be jesus was there when creation began and it was all good but now creation is in rebellion against our Creator. And the good and beautiful fabric of our lives and of our relationships is being ripped apart. So Jesus weeps for us, but He weeps at a different level, a deeper level. This is not the way the world should be. It's not how it was designed to be. Creation is in rebellion, and He weeps. Have you ever sat down to create like a, a piece of art or write a novel or something like that? And sometimes you struggle with the finished product because you knew what it was supposed to be. Jesus weeps. Number two, Jesus calls us from death to life. So Jesus weeps with us, but in his weeping, he's still working. He's still doing redemptive healing work even as he weeps. And the most important thing he does, the thing that only he can do, is he calls us from death to life. Now, he does this in a spiritual sense. He calls us out of spiritual death, in other words, from separation from God. He calls us out of separation from God, spiritual death, into life, into abundant and everlasting life in a relationship with God. Christians also believe that at the end of the world, Jesus is going to call his followers out of physical death into life. That right now, Lazarus' story is the exception, but at some future day, Lazarus' story will be the rule. Now, speaking of Lazarus, what does he do in this story, in this passage? What long list of things does Lazarus do to get called from death to life? You might have picked up uh, nothing, nothing. Jesus did all the hard work. Jesus spoke life back into Lazarus. Lazarus heard the voice of Jesus, trusted the voice of Jesus, and came to him. That's what Lazarus did. But I say that to emphasize, you and I cannot earn. We don't deserve a relationship with God. We don't earn or deserve abundant and everlasting life. It comes to us as a gift. It comes to us as Jesus calling us, come out of death, come to me and live. Everything that God requires, he has offered to us in Jesus. Everything that would separate us from God, Jesus has bridged. Following Jesus is not a status symbol, it's a gift. It's not what we earn, it's what we receive. We hear him calling us out of death into life. We trust his words, we trust him, so we come to Jesus. What Lazarus did is he heard the voice of Jesus, he trusted him, he came to him. Jesus did all the hard work. And then number three, number three, number, 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 and finally, number three. So Jesus weeps with us. Jesus calls us from death to life. And then number three, Jesus reminds us not to be a mummy. It's not only a bad Halloween costume, it's a bad way to live. So he calls Lazarus from death to life, a one-time miraculous event. A reminder that Jesus is changing the fabric of the world. Jesus is sewing back together what we have ripped apart. But then what does Jesus say after Lazarus is raised from the dead? It's this strange little detail that I'm I'm focusing in on today. Jesus tells the people, take off his grave clothes. Living people don't need to wear grave clothes. Living people don't need to act like they're still dead. So being called from death to life is a a once-in-a-lifetime, a miraculous event, but taking off your grave clothes is the work of a lifetime. If you're a follower of Jesus or today you become or sometime in the future you become a follower of Jesus, that's because Jesus has done the hard work and in a spiritual sense he's moving you from death to life. Separation from God into an eternal relationship with God. But then here's what you and I will realize. There's a lot of my life that doesn't really square up with following Jesus. There's a lot of my life that doesn't seem to to live up to Jesus' standards. And you and I may get discouraged and start to say, well, I must not really be a Christian. Or if I am a Christian, I'm definitely on the JV team of Christians. I'm not in the starting lineup by any stretch of the imagination. And Jesus would say, no, you're alive. You're just still wearing some of your grave clothes. You do trust me, but let me transform the places where you don't trust me. You are reconciled to God. Let's address the places where you still act separated from God. You are alive. Let's work on the places in our lives that still smell like death. This is the work of our lifetime. And sometimes things change miraculously, and sometimes things change one day at a time as you and I don't hide our grave clothes from Jesus. In fact, as we ask Jesus by his grace and with his help and in community to take off our grave clothes. But remember, Jesus is not just calling you from death to life and calling you to take off your grave clothes. He is calling the world from death to life calling the world to take off its grave clothes. And so as you as and I begin to look around as people who have been miraculously by Jesus called from death to life, who are in the midst of with Jesus and in community taking off our grave clothes, we can also look at the world around us and continue to be agents of hope, agents of God's grace, Agents of God's love with all its grace and truth. Calling the world around us to take off its grave clothes. To bathe in the sun. To soak in the forgiveness and the purpose and the security and the life that is found in Jesus. You and I don't have to live like mummies. The world around us does not have to live like one giant mummy. Jesus is doing something healing and redemptive in this world, and he invites us to join along, one strip of linen at a time. So as I wrap up, which is not a mummy pun, as I wrap up, what does the account of Lazarus show you about the character and work of Jesus? What does the account of Lazarus show you about the character and the work of Jesus and the work he's doing in your life? What does this passage show you about the character and work of Jesus and the work he's doing in your life? That he weeps with us. That he's working even as he weeps. That he's calling you. Calling you from death to life calling you to trust Him, calling you to come to Him, to receive all that He has for you, calling you to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. And then with you and Jesus and trusted Christian community partnering together to remove your grave clothes and the grave clothes of the world around us. Take off your grave clothes. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever he's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, as we look at our own lives, as we look at the world around us, it is very possible to be overcome, overcome as we watch ours and the actions of others rip apart the fabric of relationships. Lord, there are ways that our lives don't line up with what you've called us to. But this morning, in the words of Jesus, we don't hear guilt or shame. We hear a call to take off our grave clothes. That we are alive. We've been made alive through Jesus Christ, through faith, through trusting Jesus Christ. Now let us partner with you to take off our grave clothes. Lord, will you make us people willing to ask the hard questions of ourselves even as we ask hard questions about you? And may we not feel that we have to do all this solo, but that in relationship with you and community with others, we would do the hard work of naming and beginning to change the places in our lives that still look or smell like death. Lord, would you turn us loose to be instruments of grace, of love, of truth, of hope in this world, on our campus, at our work, in our homes, in our neighborhood. Jesus, you're doing something redemptive in the fabric of the world. Let us join in. Lord, for those of us who have never made that step of trusting you, of hearing your voice and coming to you, I pray we would be willing like Lazarus to wake up from our deep sleep and to put our trust in you now and forevermore. We make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, this is typically when we receive the offering, though we don't do that right now. So if you're online, you can always submit a prayer request at Davidson prayer at lakeforest.org uh, or you can give online lakeforest.org slash give if you're willing and able to do so. For those in the field, there's a little wicker basket on your way out where you can place prayer requests or any tither offering that you have. We love you guys. Let's worship together.